You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. We are going to talk about a new topic tonight, social-emotional learning, or SEL, as it is sometimes called. And I'm glad to see a few educators on the stream, so you can... uh, Feel free to chime in if you feel like I'm getting anything wrong or mixed up. Please, please let me know because this is somewhat of a new area of research. Um, I kind of started going down this rabbit hole about four or five months ago and have been collecting things over the months. And so this is think of this as an introductory conversation into social emotional learning. And if you have kids in public school or you have friends who have kids in public school, uh, be sure to share this stream with them. If you have Christian friends who teach in public school or missionaries in public school, uh, this will be relevant for them as well. And um I just want to lay out at the beginning here that my intention in this stream is not to attack teachers. Like this is not about Christians that God has called into public education to be a light house for the gospel. Like that is not what this stream is going to be. Um, We are going to have some, some tricky conversations, but my intention here is, is threefold. It's, it's to introduce parents um, to the issue of social emotional learning, because I know that for many of them, this is going to be new information. Maybe they've noticed some things. They didn't know the technical term for it. So I want to kind of introduce them to it and give parents some action steps. Uh, my second intention here is to encourage teachers especially if you're a Christian teacher working in a public school um, environment, I want to invite you to think carefully about this issue. Uh, Maybe you've never thought about it through the lens of the Christian worldview. And so my hope tonight, obviously, you probably know more about social emotional learning than I do, but I would invite you to maybe consider some of the things that I'm going to say tonight uh, to think carefully about the issue from a distinctly Christian point of view, because if you're a Christian, I, you know, I'm going to assume that, that that's where your heart is, that you're a Christ follower and that you um, want to uh, honor Christ in all that you do. And so that is what I want to do. My third hope is that I'm hoping somebody who is a friend of the ministry will see this stream tonight, someone who knows a lot more about this than I do, and reach out to me, and maybe we can do a follow-up interview in in the future uh, to drill a little deeper, maybe fill in some of the gaps in my knowledge. So if you are a friend of the ministry and you know more about SEL or have had classroom experience with it, or um, that sort of thing, please reach out to me and let me know um, about your area of expertise. So that is always welcome. Now, I did check in with a few of my peer reviewers before I did this stream, just to make sure that I was on the right track. 
and had a good exchange uh, this morning, a brief exchange, but uh, with a friend of the ministry who works in Christian higher ed. She's the one who supervises. She works at a major Christian university. And what she does is she supervises all the student teachers or at least a, a portion of the student teachers when they go out into the classroom. And so she gets a lot of interaction going out into the field, observing the students and seeing what they are doing. So um, I was grateful for her, her feedback and have asked her to watch the stream and give me any of her corrections of anything that I've missed. And um, I do, again, want to encourage uh, Christians working in a public school context I know you, it's tough sledding out there, but be encouraged. Go get connected with our friends at CEAI.org for support. You can join our Center for Biblical Unity support group for educators. Um, now, this is going to be a bit of a crash course on social emotional learning. I'm going to sometimes refer to it as SEL for short. And from what I understand, this idea started off as teachers helping students build emotional intelligence. If you've ever heard of emotional intelligence, you might know what that is. And basically it involved teachers getting training and in tr um, transferring those principles to their students of how to lead conversations with students about character development and respectful conflict resolution skills. These were kind of the some of the main tasks that flew under the banner of emotional intelligence and was kind of the um, the thought behind the introduction of SEL um, several years ago. And I can see, you know, possibly some warrant for that, uh, depending on the framework that's being used as the moral backdrop for the student. So I already want to draw your attention to the reality that if you're going to teach a child conflict resolution skills or character development, there's an underlying assumption in there. There's a couple of underlying assumptions. One is that you as the parent, that you as the teacher and me as the parent agree on what character development virtues are good to instill in students. I'm not sure that's often talked about in explicit terms, but there's a tacit agreement or assumption that we agree on those things. There's at least one other agreement that we that we agree on what respectful conf conflict resolution looks like. So even in that nascent version of emotional intelligence or social emotional learning, there were some embedded assumptions underneath it that I'm not sure that everyone spoke out about and and knew them and could name them and 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 all of that kind of thing. But um, they were there. And what it this has morphed into, what SEL has morphed into, to quote the um, education professor that I was mentioning earlier, she's a an education professor at a major Christian university. She said in her email to me, SEL, is the Trojan horse districts are using to bring in gender education. And so that's why I wanna unpack this because we at the Center for Biblical Unity, we comment on issues related to race, justice, and unity. 
this is mostly under the the justice banner. This is what um, is being called justice. And it's full of a lot of pretty words that we want to get behind to understand the worldview and the definition behind these terms. So let's start to unpack this a bit more. I'm going to, I'm going to share my screen here periodically, and we're going to go to this and learn more. So the first website that I'm going to take you to and show you is a website that is an um, is an advocacy site for SEL. SEL, Fundamentals of SEL, and I've tried to blow this up for you a bit. Um, SEL can help all young people and adults thrive personally and academically, develop and maintain positive relationships, become lifelong learners, and contribute to a more caring, just world. We're going to scroll down a little bit here. We define social and emotional learning as an integral part of education and human development. It is the process through which all young people and adults acquire and apply knowledge, skills, and attitudes to develop healthy identities, manage emotions, achieve personal and collective goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain supportive relationships, and make responsible and caring decisions. Now, I want to draw your attention to all of the values that are embedded in SEL. All of these very pretty words. It, it, it helps adults and, and children uh, apply knowledge, skills, attitudes to develop a healthy identity, manage their emotions, um, feel and show sympathy for others. These are all things that sound highly, highly desirable. Like who would be against teaching a child how to make responsible and caring decisions for themselves? Who would be against having a more just and caring world? Okay, but what I want you to notice is you have a definition in your mind for what these terms mean. There's a definition there. And the question is, is what is the assumption that you have about that definition? And is it shared with your school district? Is it shared with your child's teacher? You know what you mean by empathy. You know what you mean by making a responsible and caring decision. You know what you mean when it says that you want your child to contribute to a more just world. You know exactly what that means. The question is, is, is that value in the way that you are defining it, hopefully as a Christian, you're defining it in a very biblical way, is that a shared definition with the school? So, this is <clears throat> at the outset what, what we need to know. I'm going to just very briefly show you a little visual aid again to show you um, some of the major beliefs. So if you see here, social and emotional learning, it involves self-management, responsible decision-making, relationship skills, social awareness, self-awareness. 
Who would be against these things? They all sound so nice. And so there's classrooms, schools, families, and communities. So this sort of concentric circles working their way out. So notice how the value system is centered in the classroom. The classroom is now the place that will instill values in your children, and then it will work its way out into the schools, families, caregivers, and communities. So I think this, this diagram is very interesting to me. Um, it's not saying that they're going to center the family's values or traditional values or religious values. They are going, the school is going to teach the child values and the school's values will now become the central focus for the child. And again, that was from the um, case L. So I'm guessing it stands for CA California SEL.org website. That was the website that I was reading from. So that's just some some introductory thoughts about it. But I want I want you to notice is that this is all flying under the banner of justice. And that is why we wanted to comment on it and devote an entire family meeting to this because this is a key plank in the effort of our public education system toward educational equity. This is what they see as being part of an effort to give everyone a fair start and fair access to education because they want to ease the child's comfort and create an environment that will be optimal for each child to learn. And these social emotional learning tools is part of that educational equity um, effort. And, and so when you scroll down on that website on, on the CASEL dot, um, was it dot org? Let me see. Dot, yeah, dot org website, you'll see this is this is all based on research. Well, that's supposed to let me know as a parent or a teacher. Oh, it's based on research. So it must be good. It all sounds good. But how are you defining these terms? And what is the worldview behind the terms? Okay, so that hopefully gives you a little bit of orientation into it. And I know Vanessa's watching the stream. I don't know if Lauren's on the stream. I asked her to come, but I know that there's some teachers on the stream. So anything that you feel like I'm being unfair about, inaccurate about, feel free to, to put that in the comments. And and the hope is that you, I'm giving you some, some mental hooks so that you can now go do your own research. Remember, it's a biblical principle to test all things, hold fast to that which is good, be a Berean, um, test truth. Don't just take my word for it. I want to invite you to do that. Um, so, okay. Now I want to show you what SEL looks like in your child's classroom. This is how they bring it in. And it's often disguised as what's called a wellness survey. I had a parent um, who was able to get a copy of her child's wellness survey from her public high school in 
the Northwest. I'm just going to put it out there that it was in somewhere in the Northwest. And so the survey is given to the student. This, in this case, at this high school, um, in a major metropolitan city in the Northwest, parents were not informed that their child was receiving this wellness survey. The wellness survey was given to the child and the kind of, the child just assumed it was a requirement. The teacher was giving the wellness survey. She's in school. That's a perfectly reasonable assumption for a high school student to think, oh, I must be required to do this. Well, what happened was after the parent found out about the wellness survey, she went to inquire at the school and that led to a series of meetings with school officials. And this very brave parent was um, really what uh, provided a lot of the documentation for me that you're gonna see in the stream tonight. So I'm going to share my screen again to show you. Now she's, this parent um, blocked out all names, uh, the names of the school, the district, everything. So you're just gonna see the raw, the raw data. So this was the wellness survey given to a follower of the ministry, given to her daughter at the beginning of this school year. Oh, great. I, uh, and I don't have, I need you to go. Someone's posting porn on, um, on where? YouTube. Yeah, I think so. Can you go yeah, block them? It. Thanks. That's the first time that's happened. I've had witches before casting spells on me on the stream. I've never had porn. Okay. All right. Um, so I'm going to give you, show you this wellness survey. And so this was from 2021. Thank you for taking the time to complete this survey for your counselor. So the student thinks they're filling this out for the school counselor. We want to get information from you regarding uh services or issues that are most important to you. We do this to support the students. Okay, as a counseling team, we are invested to understanding your experiences and needs, blah, blah, blah. Your individual answers will be shared with the counselors. Your individual answers will not be shared uh, with students or other faculty. Counselors are mandatory reporters, which means that they need to report when students have thoughts of hurting themselves. Okay, depending on res your responses to some of the questions, we may reach out to you to check in to see if you're interested in, and here's the key part, new opportunities or supports. So this is, that is a very key part of uh, the stated expectations of, of um, the survey. Okay, now we're gonna scroll down. And they have to include their student ID number so they don't take it anonymous, anonymously. They have to include their name. It's required. So they have to put their name. And I'm going to quickly go through that. And then the school supplies. I need school supplies or school clothes so they can mark if, if they're having trouble, if their family's having trouble with that. Uh, my family could use help with making sure we have enough food. Not at all true for me, completely true for me. I know someone else who may need help with food. Not at all true for me, completely true for me. So it's almost like the students can kind of tell on each other, which in this case may not 
be so bad, but then the school is going to be the one, I guess, to intervene. This, that seems like a little bit of a troubling precedent, but okay. Um, I have at least one trusted adult. Now listen to this wording. I have at least one trusted adult at school that I can talk about my problems. Now, remember, if the center of the student's life is supposed to be the school, where they're getting their values from is from the school, it would make sense that the school wants to make sure that they have a trusted adult that they can talk to about their problems. Someone important to me died in the last year. Not true for me. Completely true for me. I could, I can use some support regarding my gender identity or sexual orientation. Not at all true for me. Completely true for me. I feel like my anxiety interferes with my ability to learn and perform at school. I face challenges at school relating to my racial or ethnic identity. So I want you to notice here, like some of these questions, it's like, okay, that's, that's not a terrible question. You know, maybe it would be good for the school to be aware that someone important in the child's life died in the last year. But then the very next question is inviting the student to disclose very personal information. And then we're left wondering, well, what opportunities is the school going to provide? Because they said up front, depending on how you answer some of the questions, we might approach you to check in with you and to provide you with new opportunities. I feel good about myself most of the time. Now here's a very personal question. I have self-harm in the last six months. Now again, this might be an important question, uh, but what we're not sure of is if they plan to disclose this information to the parents or is it only to the school? If they're a mandatory reporter, would they report it to the authorities? And then maybe the parents get blindsided by the authorities. Um, this is very troubling. Um, I've had thoughts about suicide in the last six months. I witnessed or experienced bullying at school. I'm hopeful about my future. Our school has trained peer support available. Would you like to talk to a peer? There is a confidential system to report threats of violence, mental health issues. Go to this website. The information is on your ID card. Okay, so all of this is fairly um, interesting to me because there is... Um, the potential at least for the school to know more about the child's business than the parents. And it's completely probably wouldn't occur to the student that by marking certain answers, it could have ramifications where the authorities could end up going, coming to the parent's house. Um, so this is, this is a tough thing. Like some of these issues might be okay. There might need to be a necessary intervention. But the question is, is how is this going to be handled? Vanessa, who is uh, works in the education realm, says they go straight to authorities, bypassing parents. That's, that's 
my, been my experience too. Um, here's another comment. Schools can select from a huge list of questions they want to survey. That's right. So these, these wellness surveys, um, schools can contract with companies to custom build them or they can get them kind of from sermon farm, uh, not sermon farms, wrong stream, <laughs> survey farms and um, put them together. So you know, just checking the comments here. Okay. All right. Now, so that was, again, a wellness survey that my friend's um, daughter, a friend of the ministry's daughter, um, got at her public high school in the Northwest. But what this opens up, and here's where I really want to start to draw our attention to some of the dangers or the Trojan horse nature of all of this, is that this really starts to open up the possibility of recruiting students into a web of issues. And I don't want to give off a aura of fear. And I don't suggest <laughs> that you go on Twitter. It, it's a difficult place to, to be. But there is a Twitter account called the Libs of TikTok, which apparently is a parent who posts videos by liberals saying very outlandish things, but the account posts a lot of TikTok videos by young public school teachers. And it's clear that Okay, somebody's texting me about the stream. They must be watching. Okay, it's clear that there are at least some, I'm not going to say majority, but I'll be conservative and say there are a handful of teachers who go into teaching or once they are there, begin to have an activist mindset. And I'm going to play a video from the libs of TikTok account of a school counselor, a public school counselor, explaining how she interacts with her students at the school. I teach my elementary school students about gender identity. Learning about gender identity helps children develop critical social emotional skills such as self-awareness, social awareness, and respect. I teach my students that there's a whole spectrum of gender identities and that everyone, whatever their gender, deserves love and respect. Some people are girls, some are boys, some are both, some are neither. Gender is all about how we feel on the inside and how we express ourselves. The most important thing I teach my students is that it's our job to listen to and learn from people when they share with us who they are, and that we need to use the name and the pronouns that people ask us to use when we refer to them. Here are some of the books and tools that I found the most useful when teaching about gender identity. I teach my elementary school students about gender identity. Learning about gender identity helps children develop critical social emotional skills such as self-awareness, social awareness, and respect. I teach my students that there's a whole spectrum of gender identity. So what I want you to notice there is how she talks about that. It, it, it sounds great that she teaches her students. Um, I'm going to read it. 
I teach my students helping learning about gender identity helps children develop critical social emotional skills such as self-awareness, social awareness, and respect. But notice how embedded it all is with gender theory. And so it's not just any longer about problem solving skills or character building. This is about bringing in queer theory, gender theory into public schools and how do they do it? They, the first step is that they give your child this wellness survey. Then there are people on staff sometimes, like in this case, uh, the school counselor who is the very person who's gonna probably be reading the wellness survey. She has the student's first and last name. She has the student's ID card number. So she knows exactly who to target, an approach with new opportunities to help this child. Keep in mind that all of this potentially is happening behind the backs of the parents. Yes, feelings drive everything. Okay. Allison, this is something I've been reflecting on quite a bit. We are going to have a whole bunch of messed up young adults in a few years when they get through school. I, I've thought a lot about that. It's troubling. It, it is a very troubling thought. Now, I someone's asking, you know, do they give these wellness surveys to elementary school students? I don't know. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe they give them a simplified version. If, if anyone's child on the stream has had one of these in elementary school, feel free to put that in the chat. Um, okay, so that's that's kind of one step. And there are thousands of these kinds of videos on Twitter, on TikTok, by activist teachers. This is one. It's a trend. And so again, I know you're probably not on these platforms. I don't expect you to go on these platforms, but I just wanted to play one video so you would get a taste of the thousands of videos that are out there like this of teachers wanting to train activists. Uh, this is not an aberrant situation. In middle school, students are being exposed to things like this. This is something that I saw um, just yesterday on Twitter of some slides, supposedly. Now, I haven't vetted this. There's no source, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is true. Middle school sex ed. You guys remember sex ed in middle school, how awkward it all was and the talk about puberty. Well, imagine having this um, for your sex ed program. Eighth graders presented these slides at a middle school in Oregon. Again, I haven't vetted this. Please don't, don't dox the Beaverton School District. Um, so they're going to see a, a slide about sexual orientation, who you're attracted to, who you have relationships with. There's lots of options, gay or homosexual, bisexual, pansexual, asexual. They each have their own flag. You can be questioning or curious. You can be straight or heterosexual. And it's okay if you don't even want to be labeled. Only you decide what sexual identity best describes you. Your sexual orientation can remain the same throughout your life, or it can vary. Um, 
Changing how you identify doesn't mean you're confused. This is called fluidity. Again, these could be slides in a, a middle school. It could be similar slides in your child's middle school. It's good to ask questions. Um, and then this is all a, this is a whole slide about being asexual. Some research says one out of 100 adults is asexual. So again, these are um, the types of things that students are being exposed to. Now, again, not every day it comes in under a legitimate sounding thing of sex education. I remember when sex education started coming in more and more into schools when, when I was in late high school. And one of the th concerns that was raised is, isn't that the parent's job? And there was a lot of parents that said, just let them learn it at school. You know, then I don't have to have an awkward talk with them. Um, but now we're, we're well down the road. And again, we cannot assume that these teachers have the same worldview that we do. That when we talk about values and emotional intelligence, that they that other people mean the same things by that that we mean. So we have to be very cognizant and ask a lot of questions. Um, I'm going to show quickly this article. If you want to do more research by Abigail Schreier um, on how activist teachers recruit kids. And this is a story about some teachers at uh, last fall at the annual California Teachers Association Conference. And they held um, a meeting advising teachers on best practices for subverting parents, conservative communities, and school principals on issues of gender and sexual orientation. Speakers went so far as to tout their surveillance of students' Google searches internet activity and hallway conversations in order to target sixth graders for personal invitations to LGBT clubs while concealing these clubs membership roles from participants parents. This is important because if you recall back on the wellness survey it was said that some people from the school might reach out to the child for new opportunities. And that is exactly what is happening in some situations where school counselors see, oh, the, you know, this person marked this on their wellness survey. So the school then starts interventions and invitations to new opportunities and clubs. So um, there was a whole thing, there's a whole kind of um, workshop at this teacher's gathering of how to run a Gay Straight Alliance Club or GSA club and how to in invite students to participate in this club. So this is some of the ways that then we, we start with the wellness survey well, actually, it starts back here with teachers getting the training in SEL. Then they have the wellness survey. The, the school counselors are reading this wellness survey. Some teachers are eavesdropping on student conversations. They begin to recruit them, okay, into this. And so then what happens is here's the, here's the worst case scenario, okay? And the purpose of this 
is not to just create a bunch of fear. I'm trying to do this in as objective and fact-based way as I can. But we also want to understand reality and where things are headed. And so one of the things of one of the, the directions that we are headed in is that I think that this is already happening. Um, there's pockets of it here and there. It's not widespread yet, but it's it's happening. Is that we're going to start seeing more and more cases like this one of a dad losing custody after questioning his son's gender identity. And this story is from the New York Post, and I, I don't like the Post because it's a gajillion ads, but I've tried to shrink it down um, as much as I can here. But um, this is a story from August of 2019, and it's a story of, of a guy who uh, his wife walks in, she announces a divorce, and she announces that um, their 15-year-old son, Drew, was transgender, and now he's going to become uh, a girl, and they're going to start these um, hormone treatments that have the potential to make their, uh, uh, their child infertile. This is the future, unfortunately. I, I, I think that this is where we are heading, is if you get in a custody dispute, if your child, you don't support your child, but the school finds out, I'm starting to wonder if schools will start reporting parents' lack of support for trans issues as an abuse case. I don't think we're there yet. But I've wondered, this is a speculation, if that's where this is going. Um, and w when you think about it, and, and those of you who have watched the Center for Biblical Unity for any um, length of time, you know that those oppressed categories in the critical social theories don't just have to do with race or gender, but it can also do with age. And children are increasingly being seen as an oppressed people group. And I think that at the intersection of child studies and children as an oppressed people group and the public school education SEL programs, whatever that intersection is called, that, that's where we're headed. And I think that where the future could be is that um, parents who don't support their child's transition, but the school finds out that the child is struggling with gender dysphoria and has marked it on a wellness survey, could get social workers out there to start asking questions of the parents. That's a theory. So um, yeah, that I think could be, could be in the future. Another worst case scenario, and this is the worst of the worst, but I want to bring it to your attention. Anguished moms detail how gender ideology in school threatens parents' rights led to suicide. And this is in the Christian Post. And this is a summary of a panel discussion led by Dr. Jay Richards with um, three different ladies talking about 
um, gender ideology coming into the public school. And I wanted to draw your attention to this gal on the right. Um, her name is Abigail Martinez. She was a mother of um, a, a daughter who suffered from gender dysphoria. And in this worst case scenario, the school um, went behind her back and started what they call socially transitioning her child um, while she was at school. I'm trying to find where it is. Martinez. She's a California resident since she was 18 and she emigrated here from El Salvador. And she recounted how LGBT activists at her daughter's school, the medical establishment and social services undermined her at every turn. All of these systems, she said, worked against her as she tried to help her daughter overcome her mental distress. There's a video of this meeting at the Heritage Foundation with um, Mrs. Martinez describing her whole journey with her daughter, Yaley and how she was struggling with depression in seventh and eighth grades. She was experiencing bullying over her looks and people, um, when her daughter told her she felt like she was a boy, the school counselor was involved. DCFS was involved. That's California's version of the child protective services. BT was in there too, trying to help with the transition of her daughter. The mother said she was accused of not opening her eyes, not knowing that her daughter had always been a male. But she knew that wasn't true. Her daughter had always been a girly girl, veristic. She would love to dress up as a princess. The school principal things were worse. School officials told social services that her daughter would be better off out of the house. Yaley was removed from her mother's city when she was 16 and placed in the father, foster care system and started going by the name Andrew. I tried my best to get going to court every month. I never missed a court date. I wanted my daughter back. But when I went to the court, I asked the judge to let my daughter have a psych evaluation. But her daughter's social worker said she needed to just be affirmed as being transgender. What hurt me the most was that I was not I was told not to talk about God. Talking about God, a social worker warned her, was to make him feel uncomfortable because he's in danger of committing suicide. Such heartbreak for this for this mother. And in in fact, her daughter did end up committing suicide. And they recovered her daughter's shattered body from the train tracks where she died. And the reason I'm sharing this story with you again is not to engage in, in being chicken little and and trying to manufacture fear. I'm just trying to show you that this has consequences. Some of them less extreme, some of them more extreme. But this is where we are headed. And so if we're going to talk about justice... We have to understand that our culture has hijacked the term justice. It has hijacked this very biblical idea. 
And it is, uh, I think, an expression of our God-given longing as human persons to want to live in a world that is a more just world. But this is why we must let the Bible define justice. Otherwise, we will end up standing for things that go against not only God's law, but his vision for the human person. And we will actually be standing and bringing increased brokenness into the world. I want parents to understand what social emotional learning is because it sounds pretty, but it is quickly evolving into something that is being weaponized against Christian families, to divide Christian families, to confuse the created order of the man and the woman and the parents' authority over their children. And it's pushing the idea that children belong to everyone. And in fact, the, the, the center of where their value system ought to come is from the school itself. In my opinion, this, and this is going to sound, this is going to sound for some people very difficult. In my opinion, this is a demonic scheme. This is a scheme of the devil to rob children of their future and to divide families. And so I want to encourage every Christian parent to, to be informed and to do what my friend did when she found out from her daughter that there was a wellness survey. She, she went right to the school and she had calm conversations. She was persistent. And I'm going to give you the action steps that she took that will um, help you as you, if you run into this, and I want to encourage you, don't wait to run into it. Be proactive. Um, this, is, this is what you need to do. And Katrina, absolutely, there are Christian social workers. I'm not here to bag on, I said that at the beginning, I'm not here to bag on public school teachers who are Christians, Christian social workers. That's not the point of this stream, but it's a good time to be reminded of that. I covered that very strongly at the, at the beginning. So, okay. All right. So step one, the first step, if you have a child in the public school or if you, if you are wanting to become active in reforming public schools, this is a really good first step, is go read your school district's equity policy, along with all the related documents or infographics that they have posted. It should be available for you to read in public on the district website. But if it's not, ask for it. Okay, get a copy of that and any related document. It's called the equity policy. And um, what you'll, one of the things you want to look for in there is what is the district's policy about children who want to identify differently? Does the school tell teachers to hide this information from parents? What is the disclosure 
uh, path for that information. Um, recently, the ministry received a letter, in fact, from a teacher in a public school. I think I could be wrong about this. I think she told me she taught second grade. Um, and there was a child who had reported feeling uncomfortable with their gender. The principal approached this this teacher and wanted to make sure that the teacher was going to use the right pronouns. The, the teacher inquired of the principal, do the parents know? And the principal would not say a clear yes or no answer as to whether or not the parents knew. The teacher said the parents need to know. And because she insisted that the parents needed to know, yada, 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 she's now on leave and may possibly never go back. So don't be surprised if it's hard to stand um, for the rights of parents. But that might be what some Christian teachers have to do. So first step was read your district's equity statement. Second is check your district policies to the PPRA. And I'm going to show you this because this was very helpful in my friend's experience after she got the wellness survey when she went to go talk to the principal and the vice principal. You need to know the PP. The PPRA, this is the Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment. This is a federal law, apparently. And there's all of these um, regulations about what information can be collected through funded surveys. And this includes a, a student's sexual behaviors and attitudes, mental problems, embarrassing situations with the family. So go try to find your school districts. Um, if they have a public statement about the PPRA, because this um, combined with the stated policies at her child's school district, the school district or the teachers or the school should have notified her 24 hours in advance before the wellness survey to give her an opportunity to opt out of it. But that never happened. And so knowing the, the rights of the, the PPRA is, was one way that she was able to go with a data, you know, like a data informed way to the school principal and vice principal and say, did you violate these policies? Did you violate the district policy? that um, tells you you have to give me 24 hours notice before collecting data so that I can um, opt my child out. The other thing that you need to know about is in addition to the PPRA is check your district's policies related to parental rights. So I'm gonna show you an example of that. So this are the parental rights for, for this particular school district. So know those rights. Know what your rights are as a parent. And this is particularly related to surveys and data collection. 
So you need to know what those rights are. Sarah says, these equity and diversity policies are very hard to find sometimes on the websites. I know. I've looked on many district websites. That's why I said, if you can't find it, call them and ask. Um, but it's, it, it is sometimes very, very difficult. Knowing your representatives and voting specifically for those who align with historic Christianity also helps. Yeah, and it's also hard sometimes. I find, I think that local elections in some, on some issues, it's actually more important how you vote in local issues. Um, but it's often harder to find people's positions on local issues. So that's, that's kind of tricky. So, so far we've, our action steps have been read your district, your district's equity policy, um, find out the district policies related to the PPRA, find out your district policies related to parental rights. You should be able to opt out of data gathering situations. Ask your school ahead of time at the beginning of the school year, what is the process for opting out of all surveys or certain kind of surveys or whatever it is that you want to opt out of? In my, in my friend's case, there was actually not a clear path, a, a meaningful path for how to opt out of these surveys. And she really had to press that. And so be prepared that their answers may be vague they may try to shame you that you're being too conservative and you don't have your best interests at heart for your child. Be persistent, uh, be kind, but, but keep asking for a meaningful way to opt out and keep all your receipts, have a paper trail. At the same time, tell your child just not to participate in surveys. And if, if the school tries to collect data about them, Tell them ahead of time, you do not have to participate. I don't want you to participate. If they make you feel like you have to participate and you get suspended from school for not participating, it's okay. Uh, that's what I told my daughter last year in her senior year. I said, don't, I don't want you taking any surveys. If they start asking you stuff, just say, I'm, I, I'm not doing this. If they have a question, they can call me. If they suspend me, if they suspend you, I'm fine with that. Uh, we'll deal with it. But tell your kid ahead of time how to deal with it before they get into the situation. Okay, another action step um, is you're going to have to be willing to have the hard conversations. This is not the time to just sit there and think like, I, I, I don't want to make anybody upset. I don't want to I don't want to um, have a hard conversation. You're going to have to, you're going to have to get past that. You're going to, if you're going to send your kid to public school and that's where you are and you know, all you've weighed all those factors and whatever you're doing, that's your decision. That's, you know, that's for you as a family to decide if that's where you are, then you're going to want to think about, okay, am I willing to have the hard conversations? What am I willing to do to protect my kid from, from potential predators? So this is what you want to do as a proactive. These are the action steps you want to take right now. These are the action steps that you want to get informed about right now before it's a problem. Okay. 
Let's see here. I had no issues. I sent the email to the teacher and the guidance counselor. One teacher forgot and my daughter reminded him. That's good, Danielle, because then your daughter knew what to do. Uh, my other daughter's conscientious teacher stopped her right away. He's awesome. That's great. Yep. And Vanessa says, talk to your children about these issues as difficult and uncomfortable as they may be. Bring them back to the Bible. Look at how and what the Bible has to say about these issues. Very good. Okay, friends, we are at time. I hope you found this stream helpful and informative. Um, I look forward to your feedback, especially if you work in public education and um, if anyone out there uh, has expertise in this area, I would love to hear from you. Uh, you can write to me at the Center for Biblical Unity, just info at Center for Biblical Unity. Thank you so much. Good night and God bless. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.